And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul. Welcome to Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid. The guy, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And it turns out, Jay, I know it's wild. I know it's a crazy thing to say these days. But having Jalen Brown in the lineup makes the Celtics a better basketball team. Your thoughts? Are you sure about that? I I don't know. From what I've been reading, that uh, maybe the Celtics want to trade him to, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies to get Dylan Brooks. That might improve their team. Um, But actually, you know what? I am sure about that because I was in the building last night to watch the Celtics beat the Milwaukee Bucks. And after a a kind of a a rough first quarter, the Celtics pretty much dominated in the final three quarters. And it was just wild how easily Jalen Brown was able to create open looks for Jason Tatum. How many open threes did Jason Tatum have last night, which is just not something I think we're used to seeing. I think he had four or five just purely off of the attention that Jalen Brown drew um, and purely off uh, Jalen Brown's gravity alone. Yeah, I thought that was like some of the best basketball they've played together, if that makes sense, like, or at least some of the best playmaking Jalen has done for Tatum. And I think Jalen's, assist numbers I think he had five in the game could have been significantly higher like in the first five minutes alone he he hit Tatum for three great looks at three pointers and like you said Tatum doesn't get those very often and I think even though Tatum just went one for three on those that helped him get into a rhythm helped him get easy, easy looks early and obviously by the time the end of the game came around Tatum was absolutely cruising um, getting everything at the rim, making a, a lot of tough finishes, and then hitting everything. Um, so, yeah, I think obviously there's been a lot of talk lately about Tatum and Brown. And I get it. The Celtics are 500 now. They were 500 last season. Like the core has been, the core guys have been around for a while. Um, but also, I, I think this particular team, like, their losing streak happened when Jalen Brown was out. <laughs> and um, I think more so than the the way those guys fit together is does the rest of the roster fit right around them? And how do they complement those two guys? Um, because, number one, like, I think it is fair to, to – doubt whether those two guys are good enough to win a title as the two best players on a team. But also it's obvious that the rest of the supporting cast isn't right. Uh, especially offensively for this team to, to be one of the truly elite teams in the NBA. 
Yeah, it's been interesting with like just the core. When they actually play, the Celtics have a pretty solid record, I think well above 500. It's just that due to COVID, due to injuries or whatever, they like haven't been uh, able to be on the floor consistently. And I think it's a pretty reasonable argument to make that like injuries happen and we're seeing like that across the NBA and like the best teams will be able to kind of survive without industries and that's with injuries. And that's why the Celtics right now are not one of like the top tier teams in the league because they can't withstand uh, a kind of injury like that. But when they have their guys rolling, um, clearly we saw a much more dynamic offense last night. Uh, Even just the passing and the playmaking seemed a lot crisper. Um, And I'm not sure exactly why that was. It was, it was interesting, especially in the fourth quarter, you talked about Jalen's playmaking they went to a basically Jalen became the one of the primary ball handlers. At least he was the guy who kind of started the actions or would bring the ball up, um, and it led to I guess getting Marcus Smart in the middle of the action and having him make passes. And turns out when Marcus Smart is playing kind of a, a pure distributor role, he's uh, pretty good. But it felt uh, he ended the game with 11 assists. But for some reason, it just felt like the ball swung side to side a lot more, inside outside a lot more, and. Uh, the Celtics just had a lot more open shots, especially from three last night, um, which is probably one of the reasons why they finished the game like 20 for 47. And I don't know, maybe it was the uh, the real animated film session that you wrote about on The Athletic today, but for some reason the ball was popping last night. Yeah, 31 assists, which was the most for a regulation game they've had all season. I think their top two assist numbers were both in overtime games. So that, that that's a good number right there. Uh, and part of that is just, they were hot. Like Jason Tatum hit a lot of threes. Grant Williams was five for seven. Like when guys are making shots, it's going to add to the assist totals right away. But I also do think the ball movement was right. Um, And Jalen Brown, I I thought was, was a big part of that. Like early on, he hit Robert Williams for a dunk and then he he found Tatum for a few open jumpers. Like when, when Jalen is making good decisions in the paint and opening things up for others that makes everything easier for everybody else um one of the things i thought was interesting was late in the game and granted the Celtics were up like 10 but udoka went away from dennis schroeder down the stretch and it happened after schroeder and tatum got into it a little bit we can talk about that a little bit later because that was interesting um but he went to I think Grant Williams closed the game and it was Tatum and Jalen and Smart and Al Horford. So not usually the closing lineup they've used when healthy. And I I wonder if that will become a thing where they think that Schroeder just isn't the right fit with those guys or whether that's just a one-off thing where where other guys had it going and they didn't need Schroeder scoring and, and Grant Williams was on fire. So and and they were playing Giannis, so they needed more size. So I, I'm not sure uh, if that's indicative of anything long term. But I thought it was interesting that they did go to that down the stretch. Well, when you watch Dennis, is he's just such a record scratch ball stopper guy. Like he, I think I saw some stat with like most of his field goals come after seven dribbles. Um, if you want the ball movement, if you want kind of like quick decisions uh, and just like the ball bouncing from side to side. Dennis isn't really your guy, and you're right. Like they, if he's not scoring and he was not making shots uh, last night, was two for ten. 
He's also a pretty big uh, minus, I think, defensively, especially because I think the Celtics are at their best when they're able to switch. And you just really can't switch with Schroeder in the lineup. And so it's going to be interesting. Maybe you're right. It's just matchup dependent and they're playing a bigger team in the Bucks. But uh, I like the closing lineup with Grant at the four, uh, at the four. I think it gives them enough size and it's a little bit of an upgrade uh, shooting wise over the starting lineup. I mean, especially if Grant is going to go five for seven, he's shooting with absolutely insane confidence right now. But I also think he's like, Holdings and his own defensively. The Celtics did a phenomenal job just loading up to Giannis. Um, and I thought like they were able to switch a number of guys out onto Giannis. Uh, basically in that closing lineup, any of the people could switch out onto Giannis. And I just think that makes them the most uh, effective. And because Grant can shoot the three and because he's not a defensive liability, I think it makes more much, much more sense as a closer than uh, Dennis does at this point. Dennis feels like he, he should be just be like second unit, uh, bench scoring kind of guy. Yeah, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure whether that's always the case, but especially against the Bucks with Giannis, Giannis changes things because you have to have so much more size. Like, you just have to be able to throw guys at him who can at least slow him down a little bit, deter him just slightly. And I think, I think when you see the Celtics play the Bucks, I think that shows the most how far along they've come um, from where they were maybe last season, the year before with size, because having Al Horford on Giannis is such a luxury. And having that size, having having the option to go with either Horford and Robert Williams or Horford and Grant Williams, who's playing well this year and deserves to be on the court in key moments versus last year where he didn't really um, – I just think that that's really good. And Horford just brings a level of sure, sure handedness defensively. He's always in the right spot. He always knows the scouting report. He's never going to just let Giannis do something like really easy. And I, I think like, obviously Horford's impact is felt every single night. But when you, when you watch the Celtics, Last year, the year before, it would be like Marcus Smart guarding Giannis as the primary defender like all the time. And as as good as Marcus Smart is defensively, as, as many charges as he took on Giannis in that matchup, it's like the size difference was just so enormous. Where Horford can kind of hold his own and allow the Celtics to sort of stay in their their normal defense um, while still giving Giannis the proper attention. I just think Horford Horford makes such a difference to this defense. Um, and getting him back and having him play at this high level is really huge for the Celtics. Um, and I felt like after the first quarter, which was ugly, like it was just a gross, gross first quarter. It was kind of an extension of the road trip where Celtics were taking bad shots early in the shot clock without many passes. Their defense was just allowing the Bucks to get to the rim shooting 63% or whatever after the first quarter. Um, but from that point on, the Celtics really, really sharpened their defense and got back to what I think they need to be, which is just a defensive-minded, really gritty, really focused team on the defensive end. They're not going to be able to score enough, even with Jalen Brown, to to get away with sloppy defense. Yeah, second and third quarters, they 
outscored the Bucks 64 to 44, and they only let 20 points in that second quarter. They just really locked in on defense. They did a great job on Giannis, who, um, to borrow a phrase, uh, is a sick joke. Like when Giannis really put his head down in the fourth quarter, he was pretty much unstoppable, but the Celtics had big, built up big enough lead at that point and even, even slowed Giannis down a bit. But what do you think was the cause of kind of the, the defensive intensity? Is it just a Ime Udoka? Just let the, let the boys have it in an animated film session? I think, I think honestly, like this team for the most part has been really good defensively. Obviously, the last three games of the road trip were an abomination. Should never be spoken of again after after Ime went through all of it in his cutting film session. Um, but I think other than that, like this team has been one of the best defenses in the league most of the season. And so that's what they do. Um, having Jalen back is huge. If you look at their... They're on off the on off differential with him on the court versus off. The difference is startling defensively when Jalen's in the lineup. The Celtics, I think, have like the top defense when he's on the court versus what what would be like the twenty first or twenty second ranked without him. Yeah, because Dennis just plays. It forces Dennis to play, and Dennis stinks. That's my new take: is that I'm um, blame Dennis. Hashtag blame Dennis. You've gone from blame Dennis before the season. To, oh, Dennis is good. I was wrong on Dennis. To now, back to the blame Dennis game. I never should have been uh, pure in my thoughts. I was right initially. I still think they should trade him and give all his minutes to Peyton Pritchard. Um, I'm not razzled by his uh, his few good performances. He just really slows down the like any ball movement as a total guy who pounds the ball into the ground. And I understand his appeal just as a scorer, but there's a reason why he's like not really gotten – a starting job uh, anywhere. And I think this team is such like the identity of this team, if they're going to win games is going to be on the defensive end. And I just think he's such a liability that any time you're going to give him big minutes, I think it's just going to hurt your defense. And then you're basically trying to win in a shootout right there. And while sometimes he may be able to give you a lot of points, he's not going to do it in a consistent enough level where you're going to be winning shootouts. So why not have a, defensive-minded team, a team that just, like, wins the game on the defensive end, is, is able to switch everything. I don't know. I'm, I'm back out on Dennis. You're right. Uh, I'm wavering, but now I'm now I'm out on Dennis. And uh, to, to your point, the, the conversation about that changes, like, should Dennis play crunch time minutes? It changes if Jason Tatum, if Jalen Brown, if Marcus Smart, if those guys are all making the right decisions – and getting into the paint and focusing on getting to the rim and being aggressive with that, then the need for Schroeder, who does all that stuff, um, who gets into the paint better than anyone on the team, can really drive the basketball. Like, the need for him becomes less. And I, I think that's one of the challenges for the Celtics this season is to build up Tatum and Jalen Brown. And Marcus Smart is kind of already that way, where he's, he's just sort of like the – I think the best best passer on the team, but but like to build up those guys where they don't need as much ball handling next to them, and if they're at that level consistently, if Jalen's making good passes, if if Tatum's making the right read every time, then I I don't know if you need Schroeder, and then maybe you can go more toward defense and spot up shooting with a guy like Grant Williams down the down the stretch, so. 
we'll see. We'll see how that kind of unfolds as the season goes on. And then on top of that, you've got Schroeder, the possible trade market for Schroeder because he's making $6 million this year. He's probably going to be due for a big raise next season or at least looking for a big raise from somebody. The Celtics will not be able to afford that because they won't have his bird rights. So will they move him? Will they keep him? I I don't know, but it's an interesting situation because he is pretty important to them. Um, obviously, he's he's a big minute guy for them, but also there, there's probably a version of them that's defense more defensive minded, bigger, and just kind of relies on the other guys for playmaking down the stretch. So we'll see. What did you think of the Schroeder Tatum jawing at each other during the fourth quarter? I understood why Schroeder was a little upset. Like Tatum blatantly missed him for a wide open pass that would have been uh, a layup on a um, fast break. Beyond that, I didn't really see much much of the argument. But um, I don't know. Like I think it's better to be out there playing with emotions, like you actually care, than uh, not caring at all. I mean, I if. If Tatum fucked up and they were trying to hold each other accountable, I'm all for that. If Schroeder messed up, then um, I think T- – why well, was Tatum upset with him? Schroeder did something that like uh, – oh, he took a terrible shot and got absolutely rejected, and then Tatum was upset with that. Um, yeah, it, it was such a weird sequence. So I, I, I was watching like from the start because I saw Schroeder just slam the basket stanchion. I was like, he's pretty mad that Tatum missed him. And then it, there was a technical on the Bucks, and Schroeder stepped to the line like he was going to shoot the technical free throw. And I thought it was just a joke at first, and Jalen was laughing. And then Tatum walked to the line and, like, basically put, not pushed, but but waved Schroeder aside. And and then I realized they were still barking at each other. Like, they were still jawing at each other. I was like, this is serious. It wasn't. It wasn't just a guy like a poor, not a poor free throw, but a worse free throw shooter pretending to go to the free throw line and take the second. Like he was, he was making a point, and then, then shooter took just an awful shot on on the next play. Like 16, 15 seconds left on the shot clock, got blocked. Just a horrific decision. And then there was a timeout, and Tatum Tatum got mad enough that he kind of like brushed off Udoka when Udoka was trying to talk to him. And then Schroeder went over right to Tatum on the bench. And they they spent at least most of the time out just going back and forth with each other. And so it was pretty heated. It was was not calm in the least. Um, And I thought it was really interesting. And then they went back out and Tatum just kind of dominated the rest of the way. Maybe guys – Maybe he should just get chirped by teammates all the time. <laughs> so you're saying that Schroeder's a malcontent who's uh, throwing jabs at the team's star player and he needs to be shipped out of town? No, <laughs> not, a, not at all. Stuff, <laughs> stuff like that happens. Um, he definitely <laughs> deserved to be mad. Like Tatum, Tatum, like you said, Tatum, Tatum absolutely – I don't know whether he looked him off or just didn't see him at all on the fast break, but he was wide open for a layup. And Tatum tried to score by himself instead. And, and and something like that, like I feel like you don't get mad if it happens once, you know. But that, that was probably frustration building up over feeling like he hasn't gotten the ball in so, some situations like that before. Um, 
it was especially a weird time for it to happen with like the Celtics up 10 playing great basketball over the last two quarters. <laughs> but I don't think it was a big deal, but I, I, I did think that Ime's response to it was interesting because when somebody asked him about it, he kind of just said exactly what happened. He's like, yeah, someone was mad that, <laughs> that there was a, a missed fast break opportunity. And I kind of, He's like, I, I'd rather have them go at each other and settle it right there than let it fester and not talk about it. And so that's kind of the culture he's trying to build where guys can yap at each other and then just move past it. And I do think they move past it. Um, obviously, Tatum was dynamite the rest of the way. Schroeder got yanked, but for a couple minutes before that, he was fine. Like, he didn't, he didn't try to force anything again. But it was... It was definitely an interesting situation. Um, you don't see that often. Every time something like that happens, guys kind of say, yeah, that's just what happens over the course of a season. It's like, yeah, it does, but it happens very rarely over the course of a season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, And when it does, it's notable and it's, it's worth discussing. But it wasn't wasn't a huge deal, and they moved past it. So just just something to note, something interesting. You and Ime are kindred spirits because you both enjoy beef. I mean, Ime was like, hell yeah, Grant Williams. You better stand up and push Bobby Portis. Uh, and so bold move by Grant Williams uh, to get in, get in the face of uh, crazy eyes Bobby Portis. But Ime was all for it. I was all for it. Um, to be fair, if he hadn't done that. He would have looked like a bitch. <laughs> he would have looked so soft because Portis really did just toss him to the ground. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. I should not have used the B word. I should have learned from um, our, our brethren, Mook Morris, uh, that that's not something to use. Let's go to the the people waiting in the audience lounge right now. Um, we got Ralph M. joining us. Ralph, how are you doing? I hear nothing from Ralph, so I'm going to move on to – oh, Ralph, I'm sorry. I just hung up on you. Raise your hand again, and we'll get you back in there. You just mm-hmm. hung up on poor Ralph, man. Ralph, Yo, my bad. I had myself on mute. My bad. But um, how's it going, Ralph? I'm good. I'm good. I just wanted to bring up two things, honestly. Uh, with the passing yesterday, I just thought Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown being back really helped their offense move, especially him on um, bringing up the ball, starting the action, having Marcus Smart being off the ball. Because you know, Marcus Smart's usually thinking pass first and shooting, or he should be, because he'd be jacking up a whole bunch of shots sometimes. But he was really thinking uh, pass first yesterday. I think it really assisted for him getting 11 assists. So- Yellow. We lost Ralph again. Is that Ralph Macchio? <laughs> I think it might be uh, the karate kid, Ralph Macchio. I think, I think it's got to be the karate kid. Um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously Jalen being back helped a lot. And not only Jalen being back, but Jalen being Jalen. When when Jalen came back from the hamstring issue the first time, he didn't have the lift. He didn't have the oomph. He didn't have just – like, he was clearly hurting. And I think you saw he was moving much better against the Bucks. He had the steal from Giannis. He had – um, the one play where he had a great re- rotation to, I think, block Drew Holiday at the rim and then had a really tough shot that he made at the other end of the court. I just felt like he was moving so much better and that it, it was it was wise of him to take the extra time off. Probably should have done it in the first place. Um, but, yeah, and it's not just that he's so dynamic. It's also that 
the guys replacing him just aren't good shooters. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So so you go from having Marcus Smart, Schroeder, and two bigs in the starting lineup, which is like good luck having spacing for Jason Tatum, to all of a sudden like having Jalen Brown out there to space the court and to be a threat and to to punish teams for loading up on Tatum. It's just a huge, huge difference in every way. Um, I know the Celtics offensive numbers with those two guys on the court haven't been great so far, but I think given time, like they'll be much, much better at scoring the basketball when both those guys are on the court. And I thought it was interesting, the kind of the wrinkle we saw last night was using Marcus Smart as the guy to set the pick and then kind of be the role man. And finding Marcus Smart there, rolling the basket, and then allowing Marcus Smart to be a playmaker, it seemed like that was pretty effective. And it's just, it's a good way to attack the side that Jason Tatum's not on because they're going to absolutely load up to Jason Tatum. But if you take him out of the action, clearly they're going to shade towards him. Um, and then you put the ball in kind of your best playmaker's hand. I think it worked well with Marcus Smart. It also, I'm shocked at this point that uh, Robert Williams is not closing games. Uh, it's probably because they want like the best defensive lineup out there. And I think Horford's just better defensively than Rob is right now. But when Robert Williams can catch a lob or just like the gravity he has on the short roll, he's a passing wizard. He's like the quickest, one of the quickest decision makers on the team. And I think he's also been very good in that short roll position. And so I think using Jalen as the primary ball handler and getting Tatum kind of away from the action just allows the ball to swing more. You have more kind of opportunities, guys cutting to the rim um, and just allows uh, kind of Tatum to be this more of a, a secondary playmaker, which I think puts him, maybe Jason Tatum is getting the ball on the move. It's not all like, on Tatum to create then you kind of put him in more uh, situations where he can create or, or he's catching the ball with some sort of advantage. I just thought it was like a, a cool wrinkle with uh, Jalen kind of being the guy to start the action. Um, and I thought it worked pretty well, especially there in the second half. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point you brought up about Robert Williams, not closing games. I just think Horford has been better. He's more reliable um, from a play to play basis. And when it's crunch time, that's kind of what you need. You need the guy who you know is going to be in the right spot every single time. If you look at Robert Williams' numbers over the last, like, ever since he came back from his little uh, injury issue, his, they've they've limited his minutes. The, the most he's played has been 25 minutes in a single game, any of his last seven outings. Before that, he was averaging, like, I think it was 30 minutes per game, basically. So... It's been a pretty big difference, uh, and part of that is is Horford playing a lot of the closing time minutes. Um, Robert Williams, is, his offensive rebound numbers have also gone down a lot. His but his, offensive his, block, his block totals have gone down a lot. So, like some of the activity numbers haven't been there for him as much as they were earlier in the season. His, like, I agree with you. Uh, Horford's just like more consistent at this point, but I just think like, and probably when you're closing a game, you want someone who's going to give you that defensive cons- consistency. But the numbers with Robert Williams, like the offense, is clearly much better when he's on the court. I just think he's been a pretty solid passer, and it's it's kind of a luxury for the Celtics to have at this point, where it's like if they need. Uh, 
to close with a, like a more uh, an offensive lineup, I think they can go Rob. But if they need a more defensive lineup, um, they can definitely close with Horther. And so I think it's something that's like going to work out for them. Um, and it's just going to be interesting to see which matchups dictate which player plays. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right now we'll go to Noah F. Live on the Athletic app. Noah, how are you doing? Noah, are you on mute? Hey, guys, I was on mute. Classic. (laughs) Yeah, I had uh, just kind of one or two kind of questions. One was all the the stuff I've been seeing online about Jalen and Jason kind of not liking each other resurfacing. I'm just kind of interested uh, in your guys' thoughts about that. And then just second, just really a comment of uh, like Ralph had, how much better the offense looked uh, with Jalen back in it. Just wanted to kind of hear your guys' thoughts on it moving forward again. Yeah, I think that's kind of just a lazy analysis of people who see the Celtics around 500 again and just decide, oh, there must be some problem between their two best players. I, I don't think there's anything to it. I think the numbers from the past four years, five years, however long they've played together, show that they're really good together. <laughs> and that... Having two guys who are six seven and athletic and long can shoot and can get to the pain and can defend any number of positions that usually helps a basketball team. Um, so I, I don't think there's much to it. I, I, I do think where that conversation does become worthwhile is as you're looking at the Celtics and projecting how they become a championship-level team are those two guys good enough to be your main two guys? And, and at this stage, the answer is no. Um, and so, so that's where to me, the conversation has some merit, but other than that, like it's pretty clear they work well together. It's pretty clear this current supporting cast doesn't make things easy on them offensively. And that's, that's about where I stand on that. Yeah, type of thing where when the team's not playing well, like anything you can point to is a reason why it won't work or why it's not working. And so people being like, they're not best friends or they don't get along. I think you're right. It's kind of the the lazy man take. Uh, but they've been pretty damn good when they've both been on the court. I think they like clearly respect each other. I think the stuff about them getting along is uh, one kind of irrelevant because they don't really need to get along. But I think just on the court, um, they clearly having two guys who are of that size, of that athletic ability is clearly a good thing. Um, and it's really about the the cast around them. Um, 
if Jalen and Jason are able to remain healthy the rest of the year, I think you'll see the Celtics have a play above 500 basketball and it won't be this kind of the mediocre one step forward, two steps back type of thing. I'm like, I really like the Celtics struggle this year has seemed to be really connected to uh, not having Jalen uh, in the lineup. And so I think it's, uh, you're right. It is a lazy take and uh, we will not entertain it here on this podcast. Cause we are the, uh, we are hardworking podcast. We are not lazy uh, in our takes. Let's go to Jonathan R. Jonathan, how you doing? Hey, fellas. Uh, I just want to do you guys a favor, and um, and, and I'll, I'll just harness my inner email and call you up for saying Ralph Macchio. Uh, it's Macchio, and I think you should be um, – Damn it. Damn it. We should be crane-kicked uh, in the over. jaw. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's first thing. I just have two quick questions for you. One, is there Johnny any – Johnny Lawrence of- should just pummel us. <laughs> Is there any amount of film that could result in Sam Packard beating the kid in a one-on-one basketball game? And I'm going to harness my inner uh, Boston fan and say, uh, Boston sports media guy, and say those comments that Eme made about Tatum sort of acting like other players are like his big brother or buddy on the court, not being like not getting on him and not going at them. Um are you concerned with that on some level, like long-term with Tatum, like his mentality and how he attacks? Uh, well, for, first of all, no, there's, there's no film session that could possibly allow Packard to beat me. His, his only hope would be that I balloon like another hundred pounds and, oh, which I guess is possible at this rate. <laughs> uh, I, I would have to be, it, it, I would have to need like, Four months of like training. I would need to be in the best shape of my life and be able to run circles around Jay King. Um, because at the end of the day, Jay King has what we call uh, a smidgen. strength. No, no, it's not strength. It's a smidgen of basketball talent and ability to hit a jump shot, um, which is just not something uh, I've been blessed with. So I need to uh, entirely beat Jay King on hustle points alone. And you know what? I've just. My hustle days are over. I'm I'm washed up. So no, I don't think there's any film I can watch to really uh, figure out Jay King. There's no trick plays I can figure out like Little Giant style or Little Big League style. But uh, the annexation of Puerto Rico. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to pull anything off like that. Um, but as for Jason's approach and mentality, I don't really see that as an issue. The guy's like a pretty badass and like put up 50 points against the Nets last year in the playoffs. Like seems like he has a pretty killer instinct. I don't, I've never really questioned Jason Tatum's like deference to um, bigger superstars in this league. Like I don't really think he backs down to anyone. I think that's just Ime being Ime. Ime's kind of a hardo. It's working. I think uh, I uh, I like the change up from Brad's approach, but that's just kind of what who Ime is. He's good. He says hardo things from time to time. And I think he does say hard on things. Um, but I think I think Tatum kind of needs that, you know, like he 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 needs to be more physical. He needs to. To take take that mentality with him every single night, And I think where his game can be frustrating is that sometimes he does settle and sometimes he doesn't force the issue and get into the paint and, and make things happen, which he can be really good at when he's at his best. Um, do I think he treats other guys like bigger brother? No, like 
a lot of the time he plays his best basketball against top players. It feels like like that series against the Nets when he was up against Kevin Durant, who obviously is somebody he's looked up to for a long time. He was a killer. He was fantastic. Um, I think the conversation around Jason Tatum right now is lagging behind a little bit. I think early in the season, he was rough. Um, like in a lot of ways, he was not sharp. He, for whatever reason, didn't have the rhythm offensively. If you look at his last 15 games, he's averaging 28.5 points per game. He's shooting 46% from the field. He's making three three-pointers per game, and he's getting to the line seven times per game while averaging nine rebounds and four assists. Those are, like, those are great numbers, and those are numbers from a guy who's been consistent over that stretch who who ha- is, is a, adapting his game and starting to get to the line and starting to be more effective at the rim. Seven free throws per game. If he could do that for a full season, that that changes things for him. So I, I think right now the conversation about him is lagging behind a little bit. But I, I do think Udoka can be a little over the top with his constant focus on being tougher and grittier and whatever. But I also think, like, if you look at Tatum's game over the past few years, that's that's some of what he needs. He needs to be meaner. He needs to be just realize I can be a badass. I'm six eight two thirty, whatever it is. Like I'm a mismatch every single time I get the ball, and and he needs to play like that. So yeah, I I, I think he's I I do think he's evolving. I think the free throw attempts show that he's taking taking the advice from the coaching staff and trying to play with more physicality. Um, and I think if, if you don't focus on obviously the, the very poor start, like lately Jason Tatum has been very good. He's been absolutely absurd. You know Maybe email talking like that is like the kind of coaching Jason Tatum needs. He's not like the, He's not a maybe not a Kaizen warrior. Can't get too high. Can't do get too low. Maybe he just needs to be a yelled at and challenged. And you know what? Like he needs maybe, to be a Cobra Kai. He maybe needs to be a Cobra Kai. He certainly uh, defeated and de- he did not treat Pat Connaughton like a, a brother last night. He made Pat Connaughton look silly. Uh, I describe it as a hate crime. It was uh, absolutely filthy. The spin move he put on him. Um, and so I've never really questioned Jason Tatum's uh, toughness, but maybe maybe even chirping in his uh, ears a, a little bit helpful. Well, if he continues this stretch, what he's been on for like the last 10 games, where he's basically averaging north of 30 points, um, I would say that's a good thing uh, for the Celtics. Let's go to Andrew C. joining us live on the Athletic app. Andrew, how you doing? Oh, he's gone. Well, it's a good thing we have MVP, June, stepping oh, in. June. June always comes with the heat. June, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm going to keep it uh, kind of short and sweet this time. Uh, it's unofficial trade season. Uh, you guys got any targets in mind? I got I circled Buddy Heald because he's a shooter. I know you guys are about to kill me saying he can't defend. He's overpaid. But if you want a shooter who's going to defend, he's probably not available. So that's why I landed on Buddy Heald. Uh, you got any thoughts? 
I like the Buddy Hill possibility. I'm, I'm not going to go after you, June. You are our top caller. You are a legend of the Anything is Possible podcast. And I think this this take has merit. Um, the Celtics have a roster right now where there aren't many defenders to to hunt. They They don't have many weak links on that end. I think they could probably deal with adding one as long as everybody else is solid and healed is one of the very best shooters in the game right now, which probably makes him one of the best shooters ever given how, how much better shooters are today than they've ever been. So yeah, he, he would really open up the offense, a guy like that in that mold. Um, the only thing is, do you want to commit to, that salary. Uh, I think he has two more seasons beyond this one, if I'm not mistaken. That's just yeah. off the top of my head, though. And he so. makes $22 million. So if you're going to match salaries, you probably have to give up Dennis Richardson and then another piece, which I just don't think is worth it to kind of trade two or three rotation guys just to get one rotation guy back. I'm open to a trade, I just don't know what that exact trade is. But, yeah, I think shooter of Buddy Heald's quality um, would be pretty impactful. Personally, I would uh, right now you, I would look to uh, the Indiana Pacers because rumor has it they're blowing everything up. And I don't think you're going to get someone on the level of a Miles Turner. But they have some decent players on there, I think, uh, What's his Justin Holiday is a pretty solid uh, wing player that I think you can get basically for nothing. He's a six six uh, forward, and that just kind of fits in the mold of the type of guy you want. I don't know uh, exactly what he's shooting from three right now. Oh, thirty five percent, not bad. Like he's not a knockdown shooter. I just think he's like a solid player. And basically, when I'm looking for deals right now, it's like who's the one I can get for Dennis and a pick? Because there's no one really else on the roster. Maybe you trade someone like uh, Neesmith or Romeo to if you're like really getting a solid player. But I just don't know who's available out there on the market right now who you're going to be able to um, to get. And I just don't like – it's pretty much going to be Dennis, uh, who's eligible to trade um, on the 15th. So when – most of y'all are listening to this. But other than that, it's going to be interesting. I think it's like the – the trade market's going to be interesting just because with the 10 seeds is like, are everyone going to be buyers? Like who else, who in the league right now is a seller? And most of the sellers are bad teams, thus don't have very good players. So um, I don't know. I, uh, I'm i not going to kill you, June, for the idea, but I just don't think Buddy Heald, uh, you're going to match the salaries to kind of justify bringing him in. That's how they need shooting. And I haven't looked too closely at trade targets just because it's only December 14th. But shooting should be at the top. Shooting should be second. Shooting should be third. <laughs> shooting should be every single thing they're looking for. And playmaking, perhaps. Uh, let's go to Michael M. Michael, how you doing? Hey, guys. What's going on? Not too much. How you doing? Good, good. Good to be back. Um, so here's my fake trade for you. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich from the Jazz for Jay Rich and stuff. Uh, worst best case scenario instead of Hernan Gomez. Worst case maybe like Pritchard or Neesmith. 
I mean, I like I like Bogdanovich. Uh, I don't know if the Jazz will do that. Uh, I don't know if they're on high as Josh Richardson as someone else. Boyan feels pretty uh, instrumental to what they do, and I think the Jazz are playing such good basketball at this point that I don't know if they'd be really looking to make a move. But if you can add uh, Bogdanovich, I'm, I'm all for it. Jay, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. the Jazz want to say, okay, we don't have enough good individual defenders. We'd rather pick up a guy like Josh Richardson. But to, to me, like the, what separates the Jazz is that they do have so much shooting. They do have so many like accomplished, skilled guys around Rudy Gobert offensively. And so like to me, that'd be a, a sizable downgrade for the Jazz in a year that they probably think they can compete for a championship. So I don't see it happening. But I like the idea. That's the type of guy the Celtics should want to get. Would you pay Eric Gordon the money left on his contract for the next two years? He's a guy who's a quality shooter, or at least has been historically, on a very bad team. It's like uh, a mill for the next two years. Probably not. But I don't know. See, that's the problem with with all this stuff, man. It's like... Yes, they need shooting. Yes, like it, it's a pretty obvious need. Yes, a guy like Eric Gordon would help. But how much would he help? How much would he even play? Like, because Marcus Smart and Tatum and Brown and Horford and Williams are going to start. How much would Gordon play? How much would you have to give up to get him? And how much would he really change? Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's tough to get a rotation player. Like, you're going to need to get someone who's definitively better than Dennis. And, like, yes, Eric Gordon can shoot, and I think that would be helpful. But can he play defense? Can you – like, you're not going to really be able to acquire a guy unless you're including, I think, first-round draft picks at this point who's going to be, made like, an impact two-way player – and so I think everyone loves the trade deadline because it's a there's so many possibilities, but it's pretty hard to get something without giving up anything. And right now the Celtics don't have that many uh, valuable assets to go and get someone who would be uh, like a, a the sixth or seventh best player on their team. I just don't see how they do that unless they're willing to give like Schroeder and a pick. And even that saying, I don't know who that guy is. I, I've yet to identify him. Um, but you know what? Brad might be smarter than me when it comes to this basketball stuff, so maybe he's got to figure it out. All right, final caller of the day going to Andrew C. Andrew. Oh, he dropped off. My bad. Oh, terrible way to end it. Oh, he's back. He's back, folks. He's back. Andrew C., how are you doing? I'm doing good. I hit the wrong button like twice in a row. Uh, God damn it. Two things that I liked. One thing that I liked, I really enjoyed that play last night where I want to say Smart lobbed it up to Rob, who just kind of grabbed it and tossed it to the right corner. I don't that think, was fantastic. I don't think they scored that possession, but I still really enjoyed it and would have been my number one choice in a potable six-pack. Ooh. Number two. Uh, I also really enjoy when I stay up late to watch the Celtics get run out of the gym. And then Ime gets on and he tells me what I watched rather than Brad kind of pushing it under the rug. 
I, as a fan, find it satisfying to hear Ime uh, kind of rip the guys a little bit and kind of give me confirmation to what I watched. Thank you. I'm, I'll give a little. Yeah, Ime will really tell you how it is. <laughs> like, no, no matter what, he just puts it all out there. And that, that's kind of the lead, the type of leader he is. He wants to be honest, brutally honest at times, and have guys deal with that. Like he, he's not going to shield guys from the truth. He's not going to shield the truth from the public. He is going to let motherfuckers know that he had a hundred plus clip film session <laughs> where Russell Westbrook was flexing and LeBron was driving to the hoop and guys were just running out of his way. And Donovan Mitchell was lighting up everybody. And I imagine Brandon Boston must have been featured prominently in, in that film session, probably strumming the guitar a little bit. <laughs> but email will just let you know. And I, I do think it's probably different for the Celtics to, to deal with that. But I also think they seem to be receptive of it so far, at least. Um, like Jalen said, Ime wants us to be tough and physical, and we're following his lead on that front. And Tatum said that about the film session, it was honest, it was direct, it was what we needed. So it's not like there's some mutiny about Ime Odoka constantly telling the guys <laughs> that they're not playing hard enough or they're not being sharp enough or they need to be tougher and stop treating guys like, like their bigger brother and all of that. It seems to be that so far, at least, they're on board with the criticism and the honesty and all of that. So we'll see, that, we'll see how that develops, but for now, it seems like that. You've heard of players' coaches before, but I think Ime is the fans' coach. Like, like fans want them to rip into the players after they have a bad performance. Ime is going to do it. And I definitely can see from the fans' perspective, most people aren't fully bought into the no-emotion um, Fans, I don't think fans ever really were like, yes, Brad, we love you for having no emotion. Can't get high, can't get too low. Like fans are up and down with the team or like highly emotional. So to have a coach to be like, yes, you are completely justified in your fury at this team right now. I completely understand why that uh, why that has an appeal to fans. It's just been fun um, for email, like just to see email. It's just such a wildly different approach than Brad. Uh, it's been interesting. Fun Brad Stevens fact. Uh, saw him at the garden yesterday. He said, hey, Sam, how's it going? So Brad Stevens knows my name, um, which was not something I thought would to be the case. That was a that was a fun moment for for Jam yesterday. But Andrew brought up a, a great point. Um, one, just mentioning the potable six pack. And it made me have the great idea. Since we have this new fan interaction, we got to include the fans on the potable six pack. So I next, like that idea. next time we have a, a, a podcast, probably some point, um, maybe this weekend, maybe after the Knicks game, who knows? We'll see how we're feeling. You guys can join in. We'll do a little draft. Maybe uh, Jay and I will go first and then let the fans uh, jump in on that potable six pack. I think it will be a, an absolutely great feature. Before we leave, I've got to just talk about Grant Williams' shooting a little bit. By all means. He has almost hit as many threes as he made all of last season already. <laughs> he's five shy. Five shy. That could be one game, <laughs> the way he's shooting it. He's up at 45.3%. That's like Steph Curry territory, obviously. He's not shooting the same diet of threes. 
Obviously, he's no fucking Steph Curry. I'm not saying he is. I am just shocked that Grant Williams is shooting better than 45% after 28 games played in an NBA season. It is – and he, he's got some swag. Like, he had – he had the one where he faked the pass from the corner and then just let it fly. He is he is a confident, confident man right now from behind the arc. And you, you can see it even in, in different parts of his game. Like, he's chirping guys. He's acting tough. He's, he's far more confident this season than he was certainly last season in, I think, all parts of his game. And you can just see him growing as a player and kind of – finding who he is as an NBA player, and he's been good. Grant Williams has been good. And teams are going to have to start respecting him. Like, he's still getting a lot of open shots, but if he continues to shoot 45% from the field, that's just going to – like, teams are going to take a little one more step to him and just open up the lane and make the offense that much better for everyone else. I think he has a plus 20 night rating, uh, the Celtics do, when Grant Williams is on the court right now, which is – Absolutely wild. I think he's pretty – if he can continue this, I think he'll, like, cement himself as a guy who closes games for this team. If he can be a, a just to hang out in the corner and knock down threes at this rate will be huge for the Boston Celtics. And I think his, even his ability to, to switch and play defense and not foul, which is definitely something that's plagued him uh, for a lot of his career, uh, if he can just step up and be this consistent, I don't even – I don't think we should expect – 45%, but 38% from Grant would be huge. And you're right. He is playing with so much confidence right now and shooting, shooting seven and a half threes a game. He's shooting 45%. That's uh, absolutely wild. Absolutely wild from Grant Williams. Did not expect that uh, heading into the season. Um, but uh, you know what? Anything is potable. I, anything is potable. Yeah. Or possible in this case. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.